Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Shares in Tokyo are trading higher this morning following a good week for tech stocks in the U.S. Nikkei trading up more than half a percent. Japanese investors also have their eyes on new industrial production data. That will be due out 12.30 p.m. Singapore time. Shares in Seoul, meanwhile, are trading lower. Markets in Australia, China, Hong Kong and Taiwan close for public holidays. Joining me now to break down all the market action, including a look at REITs, Bitcoins and all the international headlines you need to know today. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning, Ryan Huang. Morning, Michelle. How's Monday been? It's been so far so good, but quite a busy week ahead. Yeah, indeed. Let's get through it. It's been four weeks now since us here in Singapore could go out or eat in gyms. Eat in gyms? (laughs) Some people do that, but... No, giving myself away here. I like my protein bars. All right, starting today, you can welcome five people to your home in one day instead of two. And companies that can offer services where customers must remove their masks, you know, your facials, your saunas, they can resume business. Working from home will remain the default option for most, though, and it will still be another week until we can enjoy the pleasure of dining out with family and friends. Now, over the past month, footfall in local shopping centers has unsurprisingly Surprisingly, fallen sharply, and we have reports that retail sales are suffering. But how have landlords, the real estate investment trusts that own and manage the malls, how have they been doing? Well, the answer to that question may come as a surprise. Fill us in, Ryan. Yeah, so this is interesting because, like you pointed out, REITs, like many companies and businesses, have been under pressure over the past year because of traffic, food traffic, people just not going out as much. That has an impact on people shopping, people eating, and that has a knock-on impact on how much business companies can do and how much revenue they bring in and in turn how much rent they can pay. So that uh, in fact, uh, affects the REITs. So it's interest- interesting to see how S REITs have actually been the beneficiaries of net inflows from institutional investors to the tune of $44 million. And this is over the past month. So this is looking at the top three involving Capitaland Integrated Commercial Trust, Suntech REIT, and Fraser Centerpoint Trust. So that is one to watch when you consider how there is a wider narrative now about a rotation back into cyclicals away from growth. As you mentioned, SREITs have benefited from an inflow of institutional money. They've actually outperformed the SDI over the past month, SREITs. Do we have a sense, though, of why REITs are doing better than the rest of the market at a time when retail is clearly hurting? Yeah, that is um, one to watch because it's not intuitive when you think about how Mm. businesses are hurting, but REITs as a unit price or share price are doing better than the broader market. I think that ties into what people are pricing in into the future. So like you mentioned, today we are actually easing the restrictions and there will be more easing to come if things are on track. So that is what I think investors are pricing in, that the economy will bounce back and that is going to be good news for businesses as well as REITs. So that is what I think is being priced in right now. The future bounce back or recovery and of course the rotation for investors away from those growth names which have run up quite a bit already and maybe going into the 
sectors and stocks which still have upside potential or more room to run uh, with the recovery picture and of course vaccine deployments um, also underway and more people getting vaccinated. Yeah, so REITs benefiting from optimism for the future. It is also worth noting that Singapore REITs have been on an acquisition spree this year. There have been at least 15 major purchases announced since January at a cost of more than $5 billion. And most of these acquisitions have been in the industrial and logistics sectors. Maple Tree Industrial Trust is buying data centers in the US. Ascenders doing the same, but over in UK and Europe. And Frasius has been purchasing industrial properties in Germany, the Netherlands and the UK. So, Ryan, if you were to put your money into REITs for the second half of the year, which portion of the sector do you think is going to do better, office and retail or industrial and logistics? Or would you put your funds in a totally different area altogether? Yeah, that's a good question, right? There is so much out there in terms of options. How do you choose? And if you are indecisive like me, I would just (laughs) buy a whole basket of them. And this will be the (laughs) STI ETF. That will solve all your worries in terms of sitting up late at night, trying to counter numbers. Just buy the whole basket. You've got the banks inside. And with the STI being weighted pretty much with cyclical stocks, especially the banks, you are pretty much saving the trouble of having to figure out who is going to be the winner. All right, from Singapore, let's turn to global news. Leaders from the G7 nations, that is US, UK, France, Germany, Italy, Canada and Japan, met over the weekend in England. This was their first face-to-face gathering since before the pandemic. Corporate taxes, vaccinations, climate change, China, Russia, that was all on the agenda. So Ryan, what do you think are the top items that investors should take note of? Yeah, this is interesting because it also takes place at a time when you have a lot of tensions um, between the US and Russia, the US and China. And of course, this is Joe Biden's first since he took office as the president. And also the last one for Angela Merkel, who is the German Chancellor outgoing. So it is quite a time for this G7 summit. And in terms of headlines, what stood out was, of course, the pledge for more vaccines for the poorer nations. One billion dollars or one billion vaccines. Uh, so that is a good headline. I guess it's a good step in the right direction, but it does fall short of expectations or at least what the WHO was hoping for, 11 billion doses. So that is a bit of a miss for me in terms of how much progress or how much the needle can be moved on the vaccination front. So hopefully we do get more commitments in time to come to help the poorer nations. And also what stood out was the approach towards China. So that was one to watch uh, because there, of course, has been a lot of conversations around how China's influence has been rising and the US has been trying to counter it on many fronts. They've talked about having their own infrastructure plan to counter the Belt and Road Initiative. And at the G7 summit, they, or at least the US has tried to get more people in the club to just take a more confrontational approach towards China. So that was interesting. But what happened was not everyone was on the same page when it comes to the level of aggression against China. So we've Mm. got Germany and France uh, pushing back, saying they don't want a G7 to become an anti-China club. So you do have them saying at least that they want China to do more on human rights issues like what's happening in Xinjiang and Hong Kong but not to the same extent of what the US is trying to push them to do, which is to just condemn them, but condemn them more 
on other issues. So you've got that final communique a bit more vague than what people were hoping for. And on the green front, people were hoping for more on climate change. Mm -hmm. What we got was a commitment for the G7 nations to move away from combustion engines. But the earlier drafts of the the communique actually indicated that we might have had a target of 2030 or sooner for these nations to reach that um, target. So that target was removed. So we have no concrete timelines per se. So it becomes a bit more vague. And this is worth noting because many of the G7 nations home to many of the major automakers. So that is one, I guess, disappointment uh, when it comes to the G7 achievements or conclusions. Uh, so Marcus, I guess, will be trying to figure out how all this will fit into the investing agenda when it comes to the COVID-19 situation, at least. Well, this weekend's summit was also the first face-to-face meeting of the Group of Seven since Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump in last year's U.S. presidential elections. As you can imagine, substituting Biden for Trump certainly set a different tone for the summit, don't you think, Ryan? Yeah, it does set a different tone. And you might remember how Donald Trump um, went to the G7 summit and was this iconic photo of all the G7 leaders just crossing their arms with Donald Trump at the table, just looking a bit defiant. But now there's a bit of more uh, camaraderie where you have the G7 in step towards the Russian presence and also the Chinese um, issues. So that is what we can tell from the um, G7 um, new reset at least. So I think it is seen as a bit of a reset of relations between the US and Mm. the other G7 leaders. But at the same time, it's quite interesting to note that they can't get on the same page on some of the um, approaches. For example, on the human rights issues, you have a big declaration now where you've got allies saying they will just set up a working group to identify areas where they can strengthen cooperation. So that's a signal for some that they could not figure out or agree on what is the best concrete way to lay out to approach China. And you also have a bit of a disagreement, or at least the lack of a, an agreement on the timelines to phase out the use of coal for generating yeah. electric power. So mm-hmm. that is one. When you don't have a timeline or concrete goals being set, that I think is one of the signals people take away that there is a general consensus in terms of direction, but in terms of finer details, it's still quite hard for them to agree on some of these uh, nitty-gritty things. Absolutely. I mean, despite conviviality on display at this weekend's summit, I think it's clear there's still major differences between the new new nations uh, on the front of climate change, as you say, failing to set a timeline for halting the burning of coal. And similarly, they also disagreed on how much money to allocate to confront China's Belt and Road Initiative. Now, let's take a look at the week ahead now. The U.S. Federal Reserve's two-day meeting this week is likely to dominate the market narrative Last week, we saw evidence that consumer prices in the U.S. are rising faster than expected. Now, you might have thought that would have triggered a sell-off with investors worried about the Fed's reaction. But no, markets rallied instead. So do you think this is likely to take the pressure off the Fed when they meet this week, Ryan, in terms of the message that it conveys to the markets? It is quite a noisy message right now. There is just so much for them to digest. If you look at what happened last week, you had actually bond yields, the 10-year notes, pushing their 
lowest in three months, briefly touching 1.43%, is right now around 1.45%. And, and that's worth noting because we did get the hotter-than-expected inflation data. Despite that, in the bond yields still dropped. So it is a confusing signal for many investors. Um, so it's not going to script right now. I believe, um, like many people watching, that it is a market that's trading sideways, mm-hmm. investors trying to figure out what to do. And for now, a bit of a breather is expected when we go into this uh, meeting. So you do have a lot of positive indicators. Inflation is up. You've got the jobs data improving. But at the same time, you have expectations that the inflation is going to be transitory. You do have prices going up for many things, the price of shipping goods, the price of many menu items at the restaurants, the price of ingredients, all that is going up. But it seems to be pointing to how there are supply chain bottlenecks at play here, which could fade down the road. So that inflation factor could be transitory. Mm. And the jobs data has been improving, but not to the level that the Fed is hoping to achieve. And that is, I think, the two things that the Fed is going to be focused on when they decide what to signal. And so far, you do have some Fed officials saying they may start thinking about tapering the bond purchases. Um, But the thing to watch out for will be the dot plot ratio. That's where you have the FOMC committee, each member putting a dot on the graph when they think the rates will rise. So the reading between the lines, so to speak, will be how many dots moved Mm. since the last meeting in terms of expectations. So there might be some um, timelines being shifted with the earlier indications of jobs and the inflation. So that'll be one to watch. All eyes on those dots. Lots of news on the crypto front over the weekend. And I'm going to start with a familiar name, Tesla CEO Elon Musk, because he spoke, markets reacted. Ryan, tell us what happened. Yeah, so this is really putting a lot of support into Bitcoin prices. And that has seen it jump 8% to above $39,000. And this is after Elon Musk said that Tesla would resume transactions with the cryptocurrency when mining, Bitcoin mining is done with cleaner energy. And of course, this is all around the debate and conversations about how Bitcoin mining is dirty in the sense that it takes up so much energy, a lot of them being powered by coal and dirty fuels and fossil fuels. So he has come out to tweet that when there's confirmation that when the miners can use clean energy, at least around 50%, then Tesla will not be adverse to using Bitcoin for transactions. So it is leaving the door open for that possibility and investors just liking that so much that they've pushed up the prices. Bitcoin jumped nearly 10% on Musk's remarks, rising above 39,000 US dollars a token. At last look, though, it's trading back around the 36000 to $37,000 level, Bitcoin. Another piece of Bitcoin news, it's a bit more technical. Bitcoin miners have agreed on how to make upgrades to Bitcoin for the first time in four years. Now, analysts say these changes are likely to expand the opportunities for using Bitcoins in smart contracts. That upgrade is called Taproot, and it's expected to increase privacy and efficiency as well. Let's check in on local stocks right now. Last week, these STI gave up a bit of ground on Friday, but it still chalked up a small increase for the week. It finished at 31.57. We are currently 22 minutes into the local trading day. So, Ryan, how is Monday looking for the STI at 9.22 a.m.? 
Yeah, so just to recap, Friday was slightly down by 0.1% and it is the same right now. Same picture, down 0.1% at 3,154 points. And across the STI, you've got pretty much split across the middle for red and green, just slightly more red. And right at the bottom is Maple Tree Commercial Trust and OCBC Bank. They are leading the way when it comes to the REITs and the banks right now. And at the other end of the table, we've got Genting Singapore is up 1.7% and SIA is up 0.8%. And for the region, it'll be quieter than usual mm-hmm. because you've got a few markets closed. Hong Kong, Taiwan and China closed for Dragon Boat Festival and Australia is closed for the Queen's Birthday. All right, he's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. You're with us here on Market View. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.